I haven't made a podcast in like forever. Hello, welcome to a yet to be titled podcast about pop punk and emo pop. Well, first of all, hello, I'm Elaine. With me are two other human beings from Earth. Hello, I'm Fletcher and I have uh, the least experience with the topic, but a lot of time and research. Hello, I'm Adam and I have a lot of knowledge of the topic by way of having been a teenager when pop punk was a big thing, but not not much else. Okay, and I have, I also was, I was more of a late teenager when pop punk was a thing, but I listen to a bunch of that music now because I, I am weird. Um, so, the idea of this podcast is that we decided that, hey, no one is doing a podcast retrospective of about 500 pop punk records, so we will do a podcast retrospective of about 500 pop punk and emo pop records, because we are smart people. First of all, why are we doing this? Personally, like, I enjoy looking at popular music and thinking about it, and especially, you know what's really interesting? To get through the first 300 records and get to the, get to the later half of this record when we see where have all of those pop punk bands gone and what happened to them after that was a big race. Also, it's interesting to look at the evolution of musical styles and so on and so on. I would generally ask you about your previous experience with the genre, but I think at this point we've established like zero and zero. <laughs> I There's a couple of these bands where I'm sure I will have heard a single, but uh, you listed off at one point three names and I knew I had heard them all and I could not tell you what distinguished them in the slightest. That makes sense. That makes like, sense. What's what makes Newfound Glory different from uh what was the other one? Um I think there was also Some 42 and Blink 182 confused me. Blink 182 was more popular. I can believe that. Their number was bigger, which means they had more pop punk in them. Gotcha. It's like the Nielsen ratings for punk. They had 182 fans as opposed to some 82, which only had 82. I always forget what number Blink-182 has. I keep calling them like Blink-196 and other names. Uh, it's not for a joke. It's just like my brain is dead, been dead for like four years at this point. I don't have one. Just have like candy where my brain should be. I live in SoCal, so I know they exist, and also one of their people may or may not be a CIA op for leaking info about aliens right now. What? Oh, dear. Oh, did you not know that their ex-lead singer literally put out the video that may or may not be leaked, that the government had to admit, yeah, UFOs exist? I have no knowledge of any of this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this happened over the past year. I heard about it, and then I wiped it from my mind, because I was like, you know what? You know what? But there's there's other things to worry about. I'm just... Can't have that knowledge. 
It's too much. Okay, well, good good thing that the next episode is a Blink-182. 182, yes, 182 <laughs> episode. Uh, we can keep this story for that episode because... What? Okay. Uh, but yeah, today's episode is sort of like an episode zero when we talk about our connection with the genre, which we did. It's like zero. We just find things interesting. <laughs> and we give a bit of a, a bit of a history of punk in the 90s, which has been mainly um, researched by Fletch. If you have corrections, uh, there's nothing that says we can't bring that up as we talk about their descendants later. And yeah, and we wanted to give a lead up to what punk has been in the 90s to see how it then leads up to pop punk in the 2000s, which is what we were looking at. We will look at, well, pop punk and emo pop. To Just to introduce how we will deal with the, especially the future episodes, uh, I took on myself the enormous task of literally going through every single instance of the Billboard 100 top songs and Billboard 200 top records of the year every week from 1999 to 2013 and everything that was tagged as either pop punk or emo pop on rate your music which is a really useful website even though some of their tags sometimes are dumb that went into a huge spreadsheet it's insane it's pretty impressive and i'm looking forward to finding out what some of this even is yes and uh the plan for now is to literally going from 1999 to 2013. Every episode will deal with one single record, not this one, because this one is like prologue. This is the the history. Uh, so, yeah, so this is the the long winded. Ellie hasn't like hosted a podcast in two years. Intro. I am out of practice. Please forgive me for being um for going nowhere with my talking. You're forgiven. Well. Would you like me to pick this train up and put it back on the rails for a moment and take over a brief history of punk at the close of the 80s? Yes. yes. I will uh, edit some music or something here. I don't I don't know if the rules around copyrights in podcasts change, but I'm pretty sure we can just steal everyone's music and put it here. Keep it around 15 seconds and you're good on fair use. Neat, neat, neat. Also, like, mm. stealing things is punk. That's incredible punk. It is. Some music here, and then... So, this isn't going to be a comprehensive of the recap uh, of the pump scene coming into the 90s, but... If you really want to dive into this, the documentary, The Downfall of Western Civilization, parts one through three, really covers this through the L.A. scene and different time periods around this era with a brief detour into metal. It's great stuff. Uh, one of the best documentaries that has ever been done about music. Excellent. And it's got a nice new release out now if you want to view those. Hmm. Makes notes. But at the close of the 80s, a bunch of iconic punk bands had split up for various reasons. Black Flag was over. The Dead Kennedys were gone. The original Ramones lineup had splintered. The list is pretty long. Meanwhile, punk was no longer the edgy outsider target because metal existed. 
who's going to find some idiot who stitched a patch to himself threatening when, you know, everyone can tell the queen to shove it now. But did you know metalheads cavort with the devil regularly and kill your children? It's true. It is. As well, 20 years out from the original burst, the kids who grew up on punk were either dead because they were poor or had sold out to survive. The 90s were probably the first time we saw the wave of the marketing machine co-opting punk as branding. I think it was Lexus that actually called one of their luxury cars punk, and that still puts a dire taste into my mouth to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. There's there's an old joke from when Bobcat Goldthwaite did stand-up, and it came true, and he said that, you know, when everyone starts out, Punk is punk is scary, but if it lasts long enough, everyone sells out because that's the only way you make money. And he starts doing this impression of uh, Johnny Rotten. Anarchy! Anarchy! And Seagrams. And that line has stuck with me to this day. <laughs> because that's actually what happened to the surviving members of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, even like... Like, aren't they all, like, fucking Tories now? Weren't they, like, pro-Brexit bullshit? Getting political! Dead or Tories, yeah. Yeah, fucking... Yeah, fucking... Oh, dear. But, uh, prior to this, we'd already had, through the 80s, arguments that different bands had sold out, or others said, no, no, they're just making it big, they're allowed... This is an argument that punk rock has had entirely through the decades. It will continue until all of us die. We're going (laughs) to cover it repeatedly over the course of this show, I'm sure, because I remember hearing it about a few of these bands already. Green Day especially. Yeah. Mm. Uh, The the, the big question is, when did Green Day sold out? On on Dookie? On the record after Dookie? On that one after? I don't think, like, the the main discussion is when, and, uh, yeah. I don't know about... The original one, but I don't think we can ever doubt that it happened after American Idiot, the album that became a musical, that became a... Yeah. 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 (laughs) The the sheer sadness from all three hosts at once. (laughs) I don't don't even like Green Day, but American Idiot, I... I, Selling out is sad. (sighs) Oh. Uh, but also, like, capitalism makes bitches of us all in the end. So, like, uh, whatever. We're all going to die. Yeah, true enough. Not me. I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm immortal, so I can't die. <laughs> Am I the only one who's gonna die in here? <laughs> Maybe. But <laughs> yeah. I feel like referencing Matt Groening's out-of-print college comics probably gives me the worst punk cred of all. Eh, we've already established you don't need the cred. Anyhow. The early 90s sort of became an alt-rock renaissance, and a bunch of bands were thrust into the spotlight by label-seeking anything that remotely sounded like Nirvana. So a bunch of punk and punk-adjacent groups were caught up in this wave. We had a ska revival and a bunch of genre fusion bands pushing things onto the scene, with bands like Rancid, Sublime, No Doubt, all becoming heralds of a horn-driven apocalypse. Riot Girl is fantastic, and while it doesn't cross over into this show's wheelhouse much since it tends to be a lot harder than pop punk, it kept that spirit raging to this day and also tends to be a genre with the least accusations of selling out. Hmm. Hmm. 
also, some major players are going to take center stage in the middle of this decade, uh, a few of whom we've already named. You've got a Blink-182, you've got a Green Day, etc. But we'll get there. Right, or the, le- the scene that has the least accusation of selling out just because the music industry doesn't like, like, women getting successful, so they literally had less opportunity to sell out? It could be that, but you also just don't tend to see... Hmm. You know, that might really just be the core of it, because I was like, oh no, wait, what I was saying ties back directly into, yeah, yeah, you might be right that it's just less marketable to have, to put it bluntly, pissed off chicks screaming at people. Yeah, sexism. Yay! You can market that to me. <laughs> we we do have a very limited amount of uh, female representation in some of what we'll be covering for a little while. So yeah, I can see that. Oh yeah, no, no, the list is like two bands with a girl on them. Uh, I I went through that spreadsheet. There's like Avril Lavigne, which I'll be honest, like just sucks. Um, I'm, I'm, you know. <laughs> I mean, she is kind of the queen of pop punk, though, just by default. Yes, but she sucks. Yeah. Uh, and there's another band with a with a female lead singer, which I haven't heard of, so maybe they don't suck. But yeah, there's no. It's it's lots of penises. Lots of penises. Speaking of lots of penises, let's talk about uh, the fusion of melodic hardcore and skate punk. Oh, nice. Yes. So this this was probably one of the biggest things that pushed punk anywhere near the mainstream is it started out with... Making it sound nice? A little bit. It started under the name Melodic Hardcore, where you were going for high speed, louder vocals. So it's sort of like the old punk, a little bit of metal, but it tended to, you know, have some melodies and hooks and be a little catchy. So it was basically raw passion where a guitarist would know what they were doing. Yes. Uh, like Trice, the the artist and the ambulance. That record is good. Yeah. And this became conflated with uh, skate punk or skate rock because a lot of the former became staples in skate tapes and in time when the Tony Hawk games and Jackass were a giant push of skate culture into the mainstream, that carried along with it because all these associations had already been built up or some of the people working on these projects were like, hey, these guys uh, these guys have that sound. They got that angry sound we need. I'm going to lose like 90% of my video game cred here. I never played a Tony Hawk game. Everyone says that they're like fucking amazing. I literally never played one of those games. Incredibly fun if you like arcadey little uh, score challenges. Sure. There's a definite diminishing returns thing when they started putting out one to three games per year for a while, and yeah. that's why they stopped until. I, I know everyone the likes. Revival. Is it like Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two for the PS One or whatever? That yeah. one is like the one everyone likes. Video games have a, like an interesting intersection with punk because, like, especially we we'll see that in the two thousand. If you don't know what pop punk or emo pop is, I can literally just explain it to you by going, "Oh, the Burnout Three soundtrack." And you're like, oh yeah, that's a game that has a very specific like musical direction on it. So <laughs> until you don't know what Burnout Three is, well, yeah, but I would say you're actually correct because EA Sports and especially their big sub label was 
responsible for a lot of this continuing in the early 2000s. They would put out actual physical sellable soundtrack albums for their video games because of the licensing involved. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the SSX series was the one that I was always dealing with, which wasn't as punky because snowboarding didn't quite have that same edge, but, you know, had some overlap. With more hip-hop in it, right? With that, like, the, that one song that was famous in SSX 3K. Yeah, there was some dilated peoples and other things. Yeah. Interesting. And so, yeah, a lot of the lead-in to and the bands who would become the pop-punk movement were showing up to this, especially once the skate culture-adjacent Warp Tour became a music festival collecting all of these and aiming itself directly at kids, as opposed to the nostalgia bait of a lot of shows going on at the time. Warp Tour was a summer thing put on by Vans, the shoe company, which straight up just went, hey, here's Bad Religion, here's the Dropkick Burfies, here's seven guys who have a guitar and scream who we could get on the backup stage, and then over the decade, it got a little more corporate each year as it's like, well, here's a tent that has new PlayStation games. And <laughs> here's a guy handing out samples of an energy drink. And... Oh boy, free energy drink. Yep. I escorted uh, one of my younger sisters to this a couple of years in a row. And this was not my music for the most part. I would usually have one or two acts that I would care to see. And then I'd just have to make sure that I could drive her home at the end of the night. <laughs> I don't know if it's enough to make a drinking game out of it, especially because I don't drink, but uh, <laughs> lots of like direct reference to the Warp Tour in uh, songs, like surprisingly lots of. I mean, the most notable is in like in Blink-182, The Rock Show, but we will hear a lot of just bands name dropping it, which makes, uh, you know, express how relevant was it for the scene. I know it died at some point. I need to check what year, just because I will be curious how much the references fall off before that point. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, examples of uh, skate rock or melodic hardcore would be, you know, NoFX, Goldfinger for you Tony Hawk players, <laughs> Unwritten Law, Pennywise, and any local band with two guitarists and a drummer who your local skate shop could pay to dub onto a tape of you and your dumb little buddies falling on your face. <laughs> So the next proto-pop punk would be Midwest Emo, uh, sometimes called Second Wave Emo. All of the weird little sounds that broke away from punk in the 80s to become post-rock came back. And this is the least punk of them all, but definitely has the style some of our later bands are going to take on. Yeah, Emo, for those of you who didn't know, began as emotional hardcore. And this is the transition where it becomes the thing that you heard people making fun of in the 2000s. Soft boys and the proto-shoegaze lack of crowd work, as someone might have a synthesizer or you get weird math rock percussion. We're still like in the zone where it's uh, less like fringe haircuts and more like flannel shirts, but definitely like it gets the whiny and like just emotionalness of it gets amped up in the in the 90s yeah this is the evolutionary step and if you know where it's going you can see what it's coming out of yeah 
the Get Up Kids, who are probably one of the groups most associated with this period, has a lead singer who craps all over them for it, claiming of the more glam-esque modern emo, if this is the world we helped create, then I apologize. This person sounds like a dick, but okay. I kind of get it, but I also note that they continue to tour, so... (laughs) Are they really that sorry? Yeah. That's really, you know, you can make a pithy quote in an interview all you want, but if you continue to cash in on those sweet, sweet nostalgia bucks, how sorry are you? Mm. Interestingly, Midwest Emo has seen somewhat of a resurgence in the last, like, five years, like, tiny moving parts. Um, the, the word is beautiful and I'm not, wait, the word is beautiful and I'm no longer afraid to die made, like, a couple of really smashing, like, good, like, Midwest Emo records in the last couple of years um Hmm. yeah it's good 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 stuff good stuff it's one of the one of the genre that i feel like has stood the test of time well that segues perfectly into the next hallmark of the genre which is that the vocals in this genre tend to become things you describe as sweet or having a heart and not at any point technically proficient yeah, no, you you, you you shout as loud as you can and make really, really sure that there's n- you don't know how to sing. And eventually, like, that transition from grating to, like, this is really emotional and cool. But the people with the mm-hmm. instruments are carrying these groups. See, I, I, would, I would disagree with I think, like, technically proficient doesn't always mean good. I love a good, like, really bad, like, Midwest emo vocal. It's just like, doesn't have to be like in tune, it just need to be like powerful and emotional and makes you feel like, yes, this singer is feeling the same angst that I'm feeling, and that's cool. Well, so, I think that as far as um, Fletch saying that the people with the instruments are carrying the group, in order to play an instrument, you generally need to actually learn how to play it technically. Whereas if you've got a voice, you've got a voice. Like, you can do whatever with that. doesn't take that much training. (laughs) Exactly. This is what's separating these guys from being garage bands that no one has ever heard of, is that someone or someones who have the instrumentation are good at what they do. You just don't generally find a vocalist who has something uh, going for them or a lot of practice. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, another good record, sorry, I'm just looking at records from the Midwest Timor revival, which is Go for re- it. less known. Uh, Awake but still in bed. Get ready for a super long title of the record. What people call low self-esteem is really just seeing yourself the way other people see you. It's really good. It was one of my favorite records of like the last year. 2008, actually. 2018, mm. not 2008. That's... Isn't it freaky how we're like in the 2010s and the 2010s are over? I'm just going to have a breakdown here while we all continue because time is weird. That's, you know, everything is accelerating and... Time is overrated. Thus is the modern world. We're all Midwest emotional now. Yes, indeed. Ain't that the truth. Uh, we mentioned uh, the Get Up Kids, but other bands of this era would have been people like Sunny Day Real Estate, Cursive, and The Promise Ring, just yeah. for the time, if you want to look any of this up. And yeah, and these were the major currents that define what punk 
was in the 90s and led us to then what will happen in the 2000s. We mainly took four records that were particularly defining or important for what comes next. So the four records are uh, Green Day's Dookie, which you can literally find articles about like fucking every fucking pop punk band in the 2000s being like, yes, this is how I learned what music was. This is the first thing that I listened with my ears uh, before I could not listen. <laughs> but when I then I listened to Green Day's Dookie and I realized, wow, I have ears. Um, <laughs> oh, no. no doubt, Tragic Kingdom, Sublime, Sublime, and Offspring Americana. Offspring Americana, I feel, is pretty much the perfect transitional point because Green Day was pretty much still like 90s punk, even though they were moving into the pop direction. Uh, Offspring's Americana is just like, it's way more 2000 than 90s while still being a 90s punk record. Uh, but yeah, let's go in order. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? It all keeps setting up. I think I'm cracking up. Am I just paranoid? Am I just up? Okay, so what did everyone think about Green Day's Dookie? The most influential punk record ever, according to the people who made music in the 2000s. I was like, have oh. always, like, maybe it's the fact that I believe I am a little older than a pair of you, but I will always associate this with much like, you know, the Lexus ad calling a luxury car punk that we mentioned earlier. I had a professor who would play this album at high volumes every time we had an exam. And just go, yeah, this is that youthful <laughs> spirit. And it's like, this album is 10 years old by the time we're getting to this. And you probably listened to this in college and think that this is anything we're still doing. This would have been around when American Idiot was out. So Green Day was rapidly becoming a joke again. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. That is fair. And I will just always associate this with test day and a lecture from her about how, you know, did you know that this song was about weed and how it destroys your motivation? Don't do weed on test day, kids. I am pretty sure it wasn't about that. I'm pretty sure Green no. Day were pretty much about, yes, we'll just laser around and smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, this album is incredibly Gen X slacker culture. Yeah, that that's one of my notes. This is like Slackers, the film, the the album is like very much like 90s. Especially, I, I think we'll see the transition with Offspring being much like judgy towards their culture and Green Day being like, no, let's just blaze around, smoke weed, whatever. Prior to this, I'd only ever heard two songs from this album, like knowingly or whatever, which is when I come around and Basket Case, and I was like, huh, I wonder why I haven't heard any of the other songs on this album. And then I listened to them, and I was like, ah, I see. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're talking about 90s albums from very youthful, very passionate bands. And again, there's some, there's some real bangers that became singles you would hear endlessly. And then there's Sassafras Roots? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's still very much 
punk like it's still very much punk in their old way where you have like one minute song there are just like this tidbit of idea they had and it's not punk to develop your idea so you just record the one minute thing mm-hmm. uh, it's oh, yeah. interesting this whole album comes in at 14 tracks under 40 minutes yes and it feels double that because everything sounds the same <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I think that part of it is just, it's like, ah, I don't really vibe with this, uh, uh, smoking weed and being demotivated. Don't vibe with it. It is very weird that the, everything has such an aggression and an energy to it. And then, yeah, the songs are about, I'm laying around inside the house, what's (laughs) on the telly? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of uh, ludonarrative dissonance, as people would say. (laughs) (sighs) What are the words that you just said? It's a dumb video game Technically, they don't apply to this, but (laughs) I'm not going to correct her. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I feel like partly, and this is like my assumption because I haven't delved deep enough on this, but like this feels way less of a breaking point to us because we had the punk that was actually like catchy and very chorus oriented very like hook oriented but this one compared with uh what punk was before this was sort of a breaking point where green day was very much trying with this record to be more like catchy more pop having more like melodies and more things that you can hook onto Uh, i think it's a bit lost when we see it in the context now because people then took that and went like what if we make it more like song structure what we make it more like pop oriented but at the time i feel this was this was a break in that it was like very much more catchy than it would normally be even though like even if you take like basket case like the most famous song basket case and when i come around are like wow the choruses of the songs are like weak there are bits that i can hook onto but they not they haven't quite reached the what we'll see, which is like punk with like strong choruses with like very structured pop song form, but sort of like an in-between stage and a jumping off stage from for punk people to go like, oh, we can actually be like sound nice and catchy and pop and don't have to be like angry all the time. This was sort of like the transitional state of punk. Yeah, these first two albums are very much bands who were young punks shifting into what they're going to become, which is stadium rock acts in a decade's time. Yeah, very much. Uh, Having a Blast is a song about a suicide bomber with no, like, thought put behind it. It's just like, hey, wouldn't that be cool? And that's, I feel, will be the political spirit of punk moving on, being like... This is political in the most mild sense ever. And we haven't put much thought under behind it. That's... Yeah, we're gonna have one that we really discuss that on. But... <laughs> I I think... We are kind of in agreement that this is a song with a lot of promise from this band, but a lot of filler between those tracks. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't love Green Day. I'll be honest. Um, I I find um, I always forget the name of the singer, so I just call it Green David. Um, I always found this voice 
way too punk, which is weird to say, but it's just like, again, I'm really <laughs> interested in the pop punk of the 2000s, while everyone sounded like snotty and had like this weird nasal voices, but they were like very melodic. While uh, Green Day singing is very much Ramones, like it's very much entrenched in that tradition, right? In the tradition of like Six Pistols, Ramones is like very rough and shouty. Um, well, yeah. I think a thing that complements that is the 90s into the early 2000s were the last time auto-tune wasn't a thing that was commonly available to producers. Huh, that's really interesting. I never mm. thought about it that way. Yeah, after a certain point, everyone on a major label, and even some of the lesser ones, are getting a little bit of tweaking in the studio. If you hear someone's live tracks versus uh, an album version, you really start to hear that distinction. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And also, like, I feel like, interestingly enough, again, keeping more with the differences between what we're seeing here, which is very much proto-pop punk, this is very much a record about people in their 20s. I don't think when you're like 14, you're smoking much weed and staying home much because you have like homework and shit to do. <laughs> Depends on where you live. Depends on where you live. Yeah, in general. From my experience, which might be different with like present days. Uh, so this is like very much a record from people from like uh, people in their 20s perspective. While we're, we're moving forward, we'll see like... Um, regressing of the target age like we'll see more like teen oriented stuff the or at least things that could work for the people in their 20s making that music but also for the teens that end up will end up listening to that music which is interesting i think that we should make a pop punk album targeted at five-year-olds you know just to keep up the regressing of the target age oh that's happened there's actually <laughs> lullaby punk albums oh no that's not a joke I was making a joke. No, around the time that Kids Bop covered ASAP Rocky's fucking problems was around the time oh, no. I first discovered lullaby, very soft covers of punk and metal you could play for your baby if you were one of those parents. Oh, no. See, that's not what I'm talking about, though. We're going to make, like, straight up uh, pop punk. It's not going to be lullaby, but it's going to be for five-year-olds. Okay. I don't think five-year-olds really like loud noises. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm surprised no one said anything about the fact that I just revealed there's a Kids Bop cover of fucking Problems. Uh, Kids Bop started in 2001. And I think so, we know what yeah. caused that. What? <laughs> <laughs> a changing cultural yeah. landscape. Yes. Yes. It was a new brand. Um, it started on October 9th, 2001, oh. to be specific. Oh, funny that. <laughs> I am gonna hide in a hole. But, uh, <laughs> the point that I was trying to make is that I was, like, a toddler at the time, and so, like, Kids Bop was marketed towards me for, like, Kid Bops chart like I I don't know much about Kid Bops, but it charted a surprisingly amount of time. It's just like, wow, that, that thing is in the charts actually. That was driven by Walmart actually because they were one of the things that did not do digital and could still be sold on family friendly shelves. 
gave them a lot of sales number boost. Ah. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Moving on, uh, did anyone notice how the lyrics of, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm treading on your uh, territory, Adam, but I do have a thing to say about lyrics. Uh, the lyrics of Basket Case are basically just like a worse version of Black Sabbath's Paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. There's a lot of I mean, I've heard people argue that this is where Green Day sells out because it's them defanging punk. Like, I really meant it when doing the research for this. Every album Green Day did from Dookie onwards has someone claiming it's them selling out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't... Again, I don't... My complaints with Green Day and, like, snarky criticism of them is less uh, from a per- perspective of I think they sold out and more from a perspective I just don't like them much. Uh, I generally don't really care about selling out. I listen to Lady Gaga, and ironically, I, I am completely fine with act selling out. It's not... It, 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 again, I, I refer it again as a weird middle point because it doesn't have the energy and like fucking like just yes garum quality of punk proper and it doesn't have the catchiness of what pop punk will become so it's sort of stuck in this weird middle ground where it probably was like extremely influential when it came out but also when the genre evolved listening back to it now is not it's not a, that like hitting especially for someone who has like no nostalgia for it I don't think I... I was born when this thing came out, but I wasn't, like, aware of humanity yet. (laughs) Both of you were making me feel like a grandpa. Yes, yes. That's why we have you here. You're Grandpa Fletch, um, here to tell us the story of punk in the 90s. One thing that also probably helped is this would have been one of the first albums even remotely related to punk in a new era you didn't have to know a guy to find out about. Hmm. Because if you're thinking of punk rock albums at this time, you know, Bad Religion was starting to come up. There were a couple of other bands, but this was where a lot of people first got to hear, yo, screaming teens with a lot of energy talking about things that are kind of threatening. Songs about stoners or... Uh, you know, as you said, suicide bombers, a lot of things that would be considered edgy. If you're young, this is the first time you're hearing that that's not, that's your grandpa's music. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely like a big, big moment in punk. You got the different I take the lead on this one because I suggested putting up Tragic Kingdom from No Doubt in 95. So this one uh, is, again, we mentioned there's not a lot of female representation in this, but I think this was one of the biggest crossovers. This was where the ska influence we mentioned earlier really started to get into it. This album has horns aplenty. Oh yeah, that's uh, lots of uh, lots of horns, lots of trumpets. 
Sky's always been interesting. Uh, well, it's always been interesting. It has been an interesting thing to tackle when I made my giant chart because mm. rate your music and I just because I need to have a standard I based it on rate your music. It's very inconsistent on what ska is classified as pop punk. So I'm not sure how much ska will cover, but there is definitely like a ska side track of pop punk that goes through like the 90s and the 2000s. And this is very much taking from that. I'm not sure if they originated it. I'm pretty sure there were some bands doing like very skyish thing just before them. But it def- definitely like, takes from that because there's like lots of trumpets. And I do like myself some trumpets. Trumpets are good. Yeah, the album prior to this uh, no doubt was just straight up a ska band. And this was their crossover into the mainstream. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. If you go back, I think their logo was explicitly black checkerboard and horns this one is also interesting to me because we're talking about how a lot of the pop punk stuff is very facile when it talks about politics or anything that has meat to it there's a reason we're not covering or i didn't put up at least uh, a bad religion album because they tended to be actual critique they were a little bit of a smarter band and i think that held them back with some of their stuff meanwhile we have just a girl, a poppy feminist anthem that really doesn't say anything more than sexism is bad and you might be sexist. But not you, just the person who isn't listening to this. Mm, yeah. For what should be an angrier song, it comes off incredibly cloying. A little bit, yeah. Being not an English speaker, I have lots of trouble recognizing lyrics if I'm not looking up lyrics. If you can pull up the lyrics for Just a Girl, that's probably the most... I'm looking at them. Um, take this pink ribbon of my eyes, I'm exposed, and it's no big surprise. It's, uh, yeah, it's like what I would expect from this kind of genre, tacking, tackling this kind of themes. I mean, yeah, it's bad when Green Day has a better song about feminism than you. Like, she from Green Day is actually better than this. Like, she is actually, like, has quite some quite good imagery in there. And it... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I can think of whenever I look at the lyrics for this or hear it is, if you or a loved one has experienced sexism, you may be entitled to financial compensation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. This does have very (laughs) clinical layout. And then also you can see from some of the singles on this, they're already giving up their punk ska past when you get to songs like Don't Speak. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a very, there's very like adult alternative, like alt-rocky vibe to all of this, which is interesting because when pop punk moves out in the 2000s, it will slowly and steadily start sounding less and less like punk. And this also does that. Uh, I'm not sure there's lots of overlap in lots of the sound, but I definitely see how this is uh, not, not even selling out, because it's not, it does not sound pop. This does not sound like the pop of the time, but does sound like a lot of like popular alternative music of the time, which is interesting. Yeah, before the decades out, no doubt will be selling out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doesn't Gwen Stefani 
go and do like a very successful or mildly successful solo career that is just like straight up pop. Don't remember. She does have the solo stuff. They do continue, no doubt, into the 2000s. Okay. But this is an anecdote that I love, which sums up a lot about how quickly No Doubt is on the rise at this point in time. Yeah. Eric Stefani, who is only on this album on a couple of tracks as a backup position in instruments, was an animator primarily. He just helped out on his sister's band here and there. And one day, when he was at his job of a mid-90s Simpsons animator, something that pays pretty well, he just had a platinum record dropped off for him, because they had just won that award for the sales of Tragic <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> okay. And shortly after that, Eric Stefani never really had to work again between residuals from both projects. Huh. Well. <laughs> that's the bourgeois for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those stories that's like, how weird is that nexus of all the things from some people's childhood, and then no one ever really hears that story? Yeah. Because no, he was that's... just background on all that, of these. Just... Hmm. Yeah. I have I, I have no no further comment on that, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Stefani, luckiest man in the 90s. Prove me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of get the sense that y'all were the, the the least disgusted but least impressed with this album of the four we talked. Um, I like the Offspring album. It sounds nice. Uh, this is probably the second one. This is not. This is not sublime, and uh, I think that gives it points. Yeah, we all know what our last place is. Yeah, not being sublime <laughs> yeah. is a big, big, big point in the in this record. Yeah. This this one's third down for me. Mm -hmm. It's like it's not great. It's not sublime. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. It's like one of the records that's like it's fine. It sounds like a lot of the music of the times. I like the horns. I think there's. I think I, I would have had more to say if it, there were more horns in it, because horns give personality to things. But this is like, this sounds like, you know, the, the later Erex, like, Erex Bandit records, where it's just like, we were a ska band once upon a time, and we, we'd like to remember the, this thing by having a horn now and then, but it doesn't ever go... <laughs> One singular horn. Yeah, it doesn't ever go heavily into that thing they pretty much like moved on and it has like a nice appreciable sort of like alt rockish like alternative music of the time sound it's fine it's okay i don't nothing stood out to me much uh gwen stefani yeah. has a nice voice like i i think she's the best singer of any of the the records that we listen today she's yes. really good like it makes sense for her to go into a solo career she has charisma, she has a good voice, she's like, that's a voice, a voice importantly with like personality, like you hear to a Gwen Stefani song and you're like, yes, I know who that person is, and not in a bad sense. And I would also say she remains one of the most human figures out of any of the people we're going to cover. Uh, I can't think of anything 
where someone publicly apologizes later, like some of Gwen Stefani's later rap-inspired works that she comes out and goes, ooh, that was a misstep, or <laughs> marrying Gavin Rossdale. I'll have to quickly Google that. Lead singer of Bush. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, I like, I don't know the cultural relevance of Bush. I know the band. I know a couple of songs of them. See, like, bad person? Um, Gavin Rossdale is a dude who was handed about seven silver spoons and they all turned to ash in his mouth. Okay. <laughs> okay he <laughs> had multiple chances to be an actor and screwed that up. He married Gwen freaking Stefani and decided to cheat on her and hide a kid. He, (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah, it's the whole story. And then it's like, oh, you were one of the hottest alt-rock acts of the 90s. And boy, you sure let that go. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. Gavin Rossdale is an individual. This is probably the last time you will hear his name for a decade. (laughs) Cool. He ain't gonna come up on this show. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious, though, what was your reasoning for... uh, You think this this record was generally particularly influential for pop punk in the future? Go wild, I, I want to know. I think that this is definitely... We just didn't really touch on the fact that there is a lot of ska DNA through the 90s, and this was a... Like, that genre taking its wings, and some of this is going to become, I think, your Avril's Levine. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, as far as um, ska becoming a part of pop punk goes... It took me until um, this year to know that the black and white checkerboard thing was originally a ska thing and not a pop punk thing, because that's what I knew it from. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's ska DNA. I just figured we needed some representation that wasn't um, our next album. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's move to that thing. I just want to apologize because I put this on here thinking this was very much another one of those steps, especially if you look at the SoCal scene. This was a very influential album. And a lot of that, with this album being Sublime self-titled 96 album, not their first ones, came from the fact that shortly before its release... Their lead singer died of a heroin overdose, and this whole thing became a very Kurt Cobain-esque monument to the band. I don't think anyone else in this band wanted to be doing rock or pop-style stuff. In fact, uh, most of the surviving members went on to form the Long Beach Dub All-Stars afterwards, which is just straight reggae. But this was reggae and punk and bro culture and all the worst parts of the SoCal music scene hitting critical mass. 
Yeah. This record is something else. Um, this is not their worst record. Like, I mentioned a single off one of their prior ones that's way worse than anything on this. But uh, What was the single? Because the one song, the very, like, not, not good song about the riot was on this record. Date Rape. Oh. Yeah. I'm That's literally the name like of a song on one of their prior Yeah, albums. no, no, no. I I forgot about that. My brain just removed that. Uh, I was like, yes, the worst thing that they did was a really bad song about stealing things during riots with no like political awareness and like white dudes yeah. making reggae. But no, there's also that thing that they did at some other point. Yeah. Okay. So like, there are members of this band who are Latino who were from... You know, this is the southwest corner of the U.S. This is a drive from the border an hour away. So there's a lot of overlap in the culture down here. I'll say that as a SoCal guy. I'll also say that um, maybe your takeaway from a song about the Rodney King riots in L.A. should not be police violence is bad, but make sure to get yours in the chaos. Yeah. Yeah, let's not do that. Look, I'm gonna... I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I'm not really. This song sucks. But... Oh, no. I, I don't think this is a good album. I'm being very measured. I hate Sublime. Yeah. I have lived in SoCal the majority of my life. Ever since mm. this dipshit died, this album and their music has never left the radio for one day in 25 years. Okay, so let's... Let, 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 so, April 29, 1992 is a song April about... April There seems to be a typo. Yeah, okay, that's a typo then. I was looking at the Genius um, listing. It's a song about the Drodny King riots. It's, the actual lyrics are mainly about stealing stuff. It sounds like a sound. Most of this album sounds like a reggae punk crossover with some ska somewhere, but it's mostly like reggae-ish. This song is not different. Has like this very chill, like reggae feel. While they go talking about all the stuff that they stole from the riots, it's bad. That's not the point of that stuff. Now. If I had to play Devil's Advocate here, which I don't have, no one should ever have, but there is a <laughs> reading that you can have of this going on about how, like, because they literally say that, that to them, the riots weren't about the murder itself. They were about just, uh, the, I don't like the way they say that stuff, but the takeaway is that they were about... Uh, boiling point of economic unrest. It was like people are fed up, they're poor and that's why bad things happening also spark riot. I don't think that's necessarily right. I don't think that's completely right especially because that's not for us to say because we're extremely white at least me and Adam. I, I'm pretty sure Fletch also but I don't have, know your background. So Yeah, I'm, I'm white. I'm not okay. going to pretend otherwise. We're, we're, we're extremely white, so that's not for us to say. But there is an inkling of something that might have been smart. Nothing in the song execution is smart. I'm not saying that the song is good. I'm not excusing the song. Just saying there is like an alternate universe where this has like a sensible take that someone might find interesting on the matter. 
this is not it. This is like very bad. No, I, I'm gonna just take this song now and throw it in the trash and throw my devil advocating in the trash too after I eat it. <laughs> Exile the devil's advocate card. <laughs> I will also say some of this, you're talking about how Americana is an album that's very judgy. There's definitely tracks on this that are in that vein while saying less. Yeah. 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 The one I will make across the way is there's a lot more teeth and analysis in Why Don't You Get a Job, which is still a bad track, but, you know, it's at least coming at it from a couple of angles, as opposed to a song like Pawn Shop, which is... 80% of the lyrics are the words, down here at the pawn shop. I did some rough math. That's where we're at here. We're just talking the most empty songs that are trying to sound deep, written by a junkie who's about to die. Yeah. Uh, I was searching for, I'm searching for a specific song that was, because there's also lots of like, posturing on it like there was a song that basically repeated a bunch of times i'm gonna shoot you or something and just like santeria uh, yes i think i found it it's, yep yeah i i don't this doesn't resonate a lot for me it's like very and there's lots of machismo and lots of um just and musically it's just like i i will be honest i don't like reggae much uh and also, like, I don't, this is, this is not even, like, this is not even the reggae that I can understand. It's like, if you like the genre, this is good. This is just like, okay, this is a weird cross with punk and popular music and, like, adult alternative of the time with reggae. Just sounds bad. It just sounds, like, out of its depth. It, uh, the production is bad. Like, it's, I'm not faulty. Like, this is a... You know, punk is not not notable for having very crisp, nice production. That's not the problem with this. There is, like, the second track when they just sort of, like, lower the mixing on the voice constantly. And it's just like, I don't don't get it. I don't got what you're doing for... It's not doing, like, the Jimi Hendrix thing where it goes from left to right, from left to right. It's just, like, lowering the volume. And I don't get it. I don't get what they're going for. I don't think they get it either. Uh, thanks for exposing me to this rubbish, Fletch. <laughs> I'm just saying that when we start getting to the era of fuck Bush with a dollar sign, punks against the president albums, this is going to, this was the origin of that. This is that same depth. It existed before that era. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I. I'm not mad at Fletch for making us listen to this, if only because now I understand why I'm always hearing Sublime whenever I'm at school uh, down in Long Beach, because, oh, that's where they're from. Yep. Hmm. (sighs) Yeah. If you know the Long Beach dub All-Stars, that crew is just everyone from Sublime who survived went on to just make happier music. Huh. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I mean, mean, Sublime makes, like, Bowling for Sap sound like, you know, just very smart academics. 
It's like <laughs> it's it's really hard to get lower than this. Think of it this way: we bottomed out early. It's all uphill from here. Oh, we sure yeah, hope. I'm, I'm not actually angry at Fletch. I think this was interesting. It's also a thing that I don't want to listen to ever again. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Yeah, you're free. Yeah, you live in Italy. But I still live here. <laughs> <laughs> I will can go back to living there when I'm allowed to go back to school. Welcome to Americana. Please make your selection followed by the pound sign now. like this record I uh, it's a problematic record and it's um, yeah it's a problematic record oh. but I think we're gonna say that a lot going back to 2000s media <laughs> yeah yeah I just realized that this uh, record is only slightly younger than I yeah you're a baby uh, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's your role here this is like a bunch of adults talking about pop punk and Adam yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is a fun one. This was very iconic during those times. This was signed the beginning of what will become post-punk, I think. Like, at least in my consciousness, a young person consciousness. Like, you listen to Americana, and then when, like... Uh, yeah, and then when, like, Blink and Sum 41 came out, your brain was ready for that. Because you already got, like, introduced to punk as a song structure a more poppy type of song from this one. Uh, it's interesting, like, I know I, I know a lot about Offspring, because when I was a kid I used to download whole discographies, which wasn't a great thing for Offspring in particular, but um, <laughs> yeah, we will talk about the stuff they make later. It's not good. Um, the stuff they did before this, the the record before this one, which I don't remember the name, I think it might be just self-titled, it was really interesting because it was very, had like very, very unique sound. It was very, it had the, the like poppiness of Americana, but it was also sort of rooted almost in grunge, not necessarily in actual like structure or sound, but more like in spirit. Uh, it was way more self-deprecating than this. It was, had like this, acid like like tangy almost which is not a word that a serious music critic should use but i'm gonna call the tangy feeling than this you're not supposed to lick the music ellie <laughs> <laughs> they don't let me they don't let me they don't let me lick like witch cartridges anymore so i'm gonna lick the music uh. But yeah, it's interesting. Again, like lyric-wise, you can see the the split from uh, Green Day being very much about we're gonna just chill and smoke weed, and uh, Offspring being like fuck you for chilling and smoke, smoking weed, with songs like you know uh, why don't you get a job, 
pretty fly for a white guy is also interesting it's like just mocking people mocking white people for being too much into rap i guess or black culture it, it... that's roughly where the culture was we did not have terms like appropriation in the common discourse yet but there was definitely a weird backlash against our white children are dressing like these non-white people you know, hip-hop was becoming more of a thing. Gangster rap had started to decline, but you were starting to get more mainstream hip-hop yeah, at this I mean, time. Yeah, it's interesting, because again, like, I get it. Was this a backlash from, like, white parents, from how you described this, right? The conservatives, yeah. We, we mentioned at the start that I said, yeah, the 80s, the threat was metal hip-hop through the 90s was suddenly the new target. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, like, punk is supposed to be, like, oh, edgy and against, but this doesn't have that feeling. Again, this has the feeling of, like, the bratty kid then to be the, the maximum way of the kid of being edgy is agreeing with his parents. And, like... Here, I can put it this way. The offspring are the broiest punk band we're going to cover today. Uh, we listen to Sublime, Flesh. <laughs> okay. The broiest band that will continue to be relevant that we're covering today. I guess. It's, um... It's a very specific, like, I think, thing, which is, like, I, I was saying, it's, like, again, like, the edgiest thing that they can think of is to go against their own generation somehow. Is to be like, all the other kids of this era sucks. We don't suck because we are criticizing them. And it's... Well, here's the one I'll give them. The Kids Aren't Alright is still a very good track. Yeah. And it would later be ripped off almost wholesale by P.O.D. for Youth of a Nation. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I'm talking about the lyrics here. Musically, I think this is a really good record. I think this like hits a really good middle point between like punk, punk energy and just catchiness. I think this this held up way better than Green Day Stookie in that I can put this on today and it's just like it's a good time. It sounds good. Sometimes you don't have to think too hard about the lyrics because when you actually start listening to them, you realize they're sort of dicks about many things, but and why don't you get a job is that so a garbage song? Uh but Go on. I have a different take on this, I think, because this is the only album that I've, like, actually listened to prior to this. Go um, on. My mother really liked The Offspring when I was a kid. So I listened to this album when I was, like, you know, five or whatever. <laughs> so it took me a really, really, really long time to realize that uh, Why Don't You Get a Job was actually a suggestion and not just making fun of the adults that were telling them to get jobs. Okay. And that one also has just a fun little bit of sexism tossed in there, which... Yep. Things that go right over your head when you're in the single digits. Yeah. The... It has been said repeatedly, this is the judgiest album we're covering, but it also has on a couple of these tracks, 
almost got it. It comes the closest to trying to be political and succeeding of anything we've listened to. Mm. Which is why it makes me sad that I know uh, two tracks of theirs after this era, and one of them is probably one of the simplest songs I've ever heard. The execrable hit that. Oh dear. <laughs> we'll we'll get to I that. I think that's coming up two albums from mm, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the offspring. I'm gonna say that the offspring didn't didn't age well. Not this record specifically. I see this is, has problems, but it's but what they did after this, especially like when you go to the. I think we will get like the 2013 record, and oh boy, oh boy, that's uh, there's some stuff there. Uh, yeah, again, ca- we should we will have to get used to the casual sexism. She's got issues. Is another like it's about like you know the stereotypical like psycho like girlfriend or whatever. It's yeah, it's judgy. And... <laughs> it's judgy. It's one of those things that I will be doing my best not to defend, but I was also at a certain age around when these were coming out. And uh, I was not, as the kids would say now, woke <laughs> at this time. So there's definitely some of me that's going to be like, no, that's not that bad. That's oh, that, oh, oh, it was yeah. that bad. I'm going to I'm going to be doing that a few times. Yeah. You know, that's growth and growth is good. Yeah, but you're going to have to hear me grow live on the podcast as I revisit some songs I haven't heard for close to 15, 20 years. Well, <laughs> we'll be proud of you anyway. I'll try. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the, what, what drives the clicks, the humanity of the hosts. I mean, the, the farther forward we go in this, the younger I'll have been whenever I first heard these things. <laughs> and... Ten-year-olds are that's, not known that's the for opposite being of how that's, not, that's not how linear time works, Adam. <laughs> Benjamin the point I'm Button tra- over here. <laughs> the point I'm making is that for some of these, I will have been like five when I heard them. Five-year-olds are not woke. So I, too, will have to go back and be like, wait, what? There was yeah. sexism in that? Yeah. Uh, for other fun things, Walla Walla is making fun of someone for being caught in the pr- industrial prison zone complex. Uh. Yeah, there's there's a few of those. Um, there was a bit of that on Sublime too, but we skipped past it because they go dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, jailhouse and doing time both. Yeah, it's like uh. you, you know. I remember when punk were like proud of committing crime, not being like. Yeah, you 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 should go to prison if you do bad things. <laughs> but you should make sure to steal during the prison ri- or the police riots. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> are you t- are, are you implying that Sublime are in some way hypocrites about the things that they say? No. I'm, I'm trying not to do the rant. You already <laughs> heard the rant off mic. I'm trying not to do it live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. You, it's valid. Uh, yeah, I mean, offerings. Yeah. Problematic. Also, like, really catchy. This is a really, yeah, really Problematic, good but very fun. Oh. Yes, I mean, um, No Breaks is still one of the more fun songs that I still listen to to this day. Yeah. 
I, I agree. Sometimes uh, I mean, you even, just got no breaks, dude. Yeah, I mean, even like the kids are alright. It's like I want to write. As mentioned, it's a good song. Like even the problematic songs. If you ignore the lyrics, like <laughs> she's got issues. Yes. Like it's a, like sounds great. Uh, Walla Walla is like a fucking train of energy. It's shame that it's like dumb fucking moronic lyrics there, but like. <laughs> I'll listen to all our life. I can shut off my brain and don't listen to the words. It's good. It's like punk, but with a pop edge. It's almost as if there's a genre called pop punk that we're listening to. A buddy of mine once said that he wished that, much like how through the 2000s, you could usually buy a two-disc version of a lot of hip-hop albums and just get the songs as instrumentals if you just like the beats. He wished you could do that for a lot more rock. Like, hey, I would love to go back and revisit some of the work that the Red Hot Chili Peppers do and never hear Anthony Kiedis talk. <laughs> That's kind of this album. <laughs> yeah. If we could get some of these just as, like, good background party music for, a you know, some kind of college mixer or whatever, these would be great. But then you have the risk of someone hearing the lyrics to the She's Got Issues while you're trying to pick them up, and it's like... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It gets better and it gets worse as we move forward. <laughs> we could have started this podcast with Offsprings Americana. This is... This definitely is the template. Uh, it will get refined. Things will change. The singing voice is still very shouty here. We'll get to more refined voices as we move on. Yeah, we got to the template, and we'll get to more things coming up. Hell yeah. Unless said otherwise, we'll probably do like one or two records, depending on the size of the records at the time. We'll probably... I'll do more research next time. I'll I, I, I'll try and not sound as dumb as I did today. Uh, but this was episode zero, when we brought you a brief history of punk in the 90s, leading up to the pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective that will come. Get ready for a lot of fun. Thank you. One moment, please. What are your closing thoughts for this? This four records, by the way. Do you do you do you have something to say about where we got and what we have left to face? I'm looking forward because again, this was all revisit for me, so I look forward to seeing what I get surprised with. Maybe I'm wrong about where this genre goes based on the little bits of it I dipped into and that I've recognized. Uh, I know there's a bowling for soup. They happen at some point. They eventually become Charles Entertainment Cheese. They become what? Oh, you didn't know that uh, the lead singer for Bowling for Soup and I think the band themselves are now the voice of and animatronic singers for Chuck E. Cheese? What? Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's amazing. What? I love that. <laughs> what? That's real. This When he got his third redesign a few years back and they gave him like kind of a skatery look, the guy from Bowling for Soup became the voice. That's fucking perfect. I'm going to cry. That's the, the evolution of pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> That's what selling out looks like in the 2010s. I see. 
Okay. Well, my takeaway was going to be that uh, listening to these albums has taught me that sexism is bad, and racism is bad, and um, co-opting riots is bad, and I'm going to keep all these in mind for the future of listening to things, but now it's just... Oh god, is that what selling out looks like? <laughs> oh god, is that what selling out is gonna look like? Pop punk is way more radicalizing than I thought. Exactly, I'm scared. My takeaway now is that I'm scared. Yeah, we're all... Oh, just wait till you see what it looks like when you grow up. You're gonna be offered some dark opportunities if this is where we're at now. We're all cam girls in a surveillance state. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I wanted to say something else, but I think this discussion sort of, like, killed us inside, all of us, we're dead. Uh, oh, yeah, I just wanted to say that this, I feel this episode we came out lots very negative. Uh, I am gonna try to avoid that coming up, even though lots of the stuff that we're going to listen will not be good. I just want to make sure for if someone is listening to us out there. Hey. I was two for two on the albums we listened to today. No, I'm just trying to say, I just want to say this, because I know part of the reason that I wanted to do this podcast is because I know there's, like, a lot of nostalgia of this shit. There's a lot of, like, audience that still loves this stuff. Just see, like, My Chemical Romance, getting back together, going back on tour, great. So... Well, they were. Is that is that not happening? I don't keep up. Like I. Well, with a global pandemic, no one's performing. Oh well, right, right. But you know, eventually that that mm, will happen. They were the not. seventh seal. <laughs> they announced the concert and then this. But yeah, uh, I think I see what you're going for, which is that this is an interesting way to look back at these things without just blindly running to the comforting arms of nostalgia, actually doing a dive on this makes us go, oh, oh. And occasionally, oh man, this bangs. Yeah, but also like, that's not, I don't want, like, I don't want us to be like the, the, the pop punk critic. I would have opened a YouTube channel if I wanted to do that, right? Uh, I don't want to be like, oh, this sucks ass. This is interesting to look back to for the good, for the bad. No, I, I think we're going to find some fun. Yeah, at least for me, there is always, like, an underlying, like, love and nostalgia for the shit. And I, I I just want to reassure everyone listening to that we're coming... You know when you're, like, criticizing something on the left as a leftist? We're fucking... We're first episode and we're already, like, political, so fuck it. <laughs> uh, you always say every kind of criticism is coming from a left standpoint. Uh, this is sort of the same. Like, every criticism is coming from a pop-punk standpoint. <laughs> We're not just being like pop punk sucks. Uh, at least I'm not being just this sucks. Fuck this shit. I'm just like I like a lot of the stuff, but also offspring. Sh- stop it with the sexism. I still like the pop pop punk, but also you know, crazy. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. As the libertarian voice of this podcast, I wish they didn't go so hard on gun control. <laughs> I, I, I think we can stop here. Same song, different chorus. Thanks, everyone, for accompanying me in this journey. Uh, next episode, we'll look at uh, Blink 182. 180, did I say it right? Yes. 182. Blink. 
Blink-182 NMA of the State, which is already from the title of the record, you can see that we're going to talk about very, very, very like serious things, very like highbrow things. Um, and yeah, yeah. So do you do you all want to? Do you all have things to say at the end? I don't know. If, uh, I, do you want to? I don't know. Like plug your fanfic, Adam, at the at the end of the show or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can cut this if you want. I don't know, people plug stuff that they make at the end of podcasts. That's just what they do. Don't make me start my plug train. I've gotten this down to a science. Go for it. If, if you do want, it. go for it. All right. You can find me over at the Rice Ball Network, where I edit three different podcasts, Journey Through the Decacast. Uh, there is Going Digital, a Digimon Rewatch podcast, and also an upcoming project that has not launched as of this time. And you can find me running the podcast Boku no Stop about various anime through the ages on the Rice or the Pitch Drop Network. Yeah, you stumbled. That, I did stumble at the last yet. one because I mixed up my networks. Yeah. I almost said yeah. Rice Ball twice. SMH, SMH, SMH. I am on Twitter at ACC the Moon. Uh, I also do other stuff, but who fucking cares? And yeah, and this will have a website eventually, but it doesn't yet. Update. So. This does in fact have a website now, and it's getoutofthistown.com. You can go there, and there are things there. Well, there will be things there when you're listening to this. Back to the episode. Hmm. Probably be also on iTunes or whatever eventually, but it doesn't. it isn't there yet, so hmm. Uh, so yeah, leave us a rating and review if I get that's what the young people say when this is on iTunes or whatever. Don't forget to like and subscribe. No, that's, you cannot do that. Uh, this is episode zero, so we don't have to figure this out yet. So fuck it, just listen to Pop Punk. Listen to Awake but Still in Bed. They're a good band. I'm gonna plug them because I like them. Uh, yeah, goodbye. This, is, this was it. This is, yeah, yeah. The end. We don't have a Patreon, but you can donate to, like, I don't know, like, funds for trans people. That's always useful. People have money to throw away. Fuck Patreon. Bye. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my friend, like a pop pocket and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.